Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Joining us now from Peoria, where pitchers and catchers reported today, Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. And Pete, first and foremost, congratulations on winning Baseball America Coach of the Year. How'd it feel? Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, one, it's, it's good to be back on the field. Um, but two, you know, the award is, is great. It's a, it's a huge honor, but it's, it's the guys that threw the ball. And um, it's, it's a lot of our, our, our catchers in, in Cal Raleigh's award. So um, it was a really cool honor to have, but it, it just shows the, the work and the performance that our guys did this past year. Pete, I, I try to imagine what your job is like, and I would imagine that um, it's a lot of mechanics going on, a lot of mental stuff going on. How often do you just sit back, or how much film do you watch on these guys, or is that even a part of your, your preparation or your, uh, your strategy to get these guys better? Yeah, there's, there's a lot to it. Um, there's a lot behind the scenes. There's, there's less mechanics, I, I feel, uh, every year. Um, guys are... are getting more and more talented and better prepared. Um, you know, we're not, we're not doing a whole lot of mechanical adjustments. Guys have things here or there that, that they drift away from. Um, I, would, I don't want to quote Yogi Berra, but uh, you know, the, the game and, and especially coaching the game is, is mostly mental. Um, a lot of approach. Uh, we've actually had a lot of pitch design, um, you know, in the, in the past year and, and even coming into spring training, a lot of, a lot of guys adding new pitches, adjusting pitches, um, and that's a really fun part of the job uh, that I couldn't do, you know, five years ago. You know, the technology has definitely um, has definitely helped uh, everybody in that aspect. Um, but what we're able to do now with, with pitch design is, is really fun, and I think we saw um, a lot of the, the fruits of that labor uh, last year, and, and, and we saw them today at the first day of camp. Did you have anyone come into camp? Like I know Robbie Ray last year uh, kind of mixed in a two-seamer and kind of adjusted like midway through the season. Did you have any of the starters come into camp and say like, hey, I really want to work on this or I want to add this? Yeah, I feel like um, all of them. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to, uh, to ruin the surprise, but uh, the, <laughs> the, I think every single one of them will have a new weapon this year. Love um, and a handful of those guys got off the mound today. Um, you know, Robbie's got one, Kirby's got one, Gilbert's got one, uh, Flexen's got one. Luis Castillo's really good. I don't think he needs one. How are you feeling about this uh, this pitch clock? We talked to Seawald. He goes, hey, I got to change some things. I'm a bit slower. Uh, uh, Castillo's a bit slower up there as well. How, do, what, how has it been received with the players? And then what was your thoughts when you first heard about this new rule? Um, just like any, any changes, um, that they have to the game or, or in life, it's, it's going to take us a little bit to adjust and, and some, it's going to be harder for others. Um, fortunately, the majority of our staff works really quick. Um, and it's, it shouldn't affect many guys, those, those back end relievers. Uh, I think just by trade, you know, take more time, uh, in between pitches. It's just kind of part of the job. And, you, you always hear that and you're always, you know, trying to, to educate young guys that, you know, everything speeds up at the big leagues, everything speeds up. Uh, when the game's on the line, the ability to slow the game down is, is a huge weapon that those guys possess. Um, now we have a little bit of a time constraint. Um, 
But yeah, kind of like Paulie said, he, they have to make a slight adjustment, but uh, it's not like they're taking a minute between pitches. Um, instead of three deep breaths, they may only get two now. I know I'm asking you to kind of like pick your favorite kids since you work closely with uh, obviously all these guys. And, you know, when it comes to the starters, I know you love so many things that they do. But which of the starters do you think will maybe have the least tough time adjusting to the pitch clock in any of these new rules? Ooh, I, our starters all work quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, Marco, that's that's kind of part of Marco's game. He works quick. Um, really, the George... Kirby in when there's a runner on base um, kind of takes like five or six little baby steps as he's coming set. And that takes about four or five seconds. Um, that's really the one glaring thing from our starters that, that they need to adjust. Um, they, they work quick. Um, they work aggressively. So there's not a, a whole lot of adjustments needed there with the rotation other than uh, George with guys on base. I always like, seeing how coaches, what their demeanor's like during a game, um, especially because, you know, you used to play. So as a coach, you have no control over what's going on. Your job is to be there for support and for analysis and help them out that way. If there's a camera on you during the game and uh, and you have a pitcher who just introduced a new pitch to the arsenal, are you a nervous guy? You walking back and forth, you're nice and calm. What What, what does it look like for you? I think I'm more on the laid back side in the dugout. Um, I think uh, Skip service carries most of the uh, the pressure and anxiety. Um, so I'm a, a little bit more laid back. But when when it comes to implementing new pitches, uh, George Kirby, uh, we were working on a two seam in the bullpen uh, in in San Diego, and he had the Blue Jays next. A lot of right handed hitters. You know, we're going through the starting pitcher meeting where we have Cal Raleigh in there and our advanced scout and, and we're talking about how we're going to implement this, you know, sprinkle it in, maybe a couple today, find the right spot. Let's not get beat on a new pitch, you know, kind of like the guidelines. Um, and George Springer leads off the game with a double. And so he's got Bushette, Vladdy, Matt Chapman, T Oscar, you know, these heavy right-handed hitters coming up and he threw like eight, two seams right there out of the shoot. Um, so you, you can't really script it, um, but the 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 speed and the confidence that those guys took these new pitches and adjustments into the game um, was was really fun to watch, and it kind of trickled over to, to every guy. He's like, oh, I Robbie pulled one out in the middle of the game. Like, let me try this. Let me do this. Um, no, let me see that grip. Castillo shows up. Everyone, hey, how do you hold your changeup? How do you hold this? All right, let me try that. Like, they – they're they're very confident in their in their ability and in their stuff to just try new things, um, and I think that's why they were very successful at it. There's no hesitation. There's no um, there's no fear or doubt involved. They were extremely confident to just take it out in a, in, a, in a game in a playoff hunt. You know, Pete, we've talked a lot about some of the position players that uh, either seem like leaders or have grown as leaders, and we haven't talked a lot uh, about pitchers. I mean, a little bit about Robbie Ray, but from your point of view, I mean, you're with these guys all the time. As players, maybe as people and leaders within the clubhouse, who have you seen a ton of growth from, and, and who are you really proud of in that group? Um, yeah, I don't I don't want to beat uh, a dead horse with Robbie, but I, I, Robbie's presence, Robbie's experience, um, 
his ability to to shake off a, a bad start, his just his consistent energy and attitude that he brings every day, I think is contagious, um, not just for the pitchers, but for the entire clubhouse. Um, and I, I think that was huge for, for our younger starters uh, with Gilbert and Kirby. Um, but uh, again, that trickles over into the bullpen and um, in, into everybody. I thought he was a, a huge part of our, our clubhouse and our culture last year. Um, and that, that improvement obviously, um, you know, <laughs> had a lot of success. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what he was like beforehand. Obviously he's, he's been through the ringer. He's, he's been doing this a while and he's been around a lot of, of older, you know, leader pitchers, um, you know, whether it's the, the, the Tigers with, with Scherzer and, and Verlander and Price and those guys are, are with Granke and, and Arizona. Um, you know, he's, he's, he has a, a handful of, of role models that have, have helped him in the past. Uh, and he's kind of taken that role with us. A lot of the great athletes um, I had the opportunity to play with were able to hit a switch. Like they were one way off the field, then they get on the field of the diamond and they're a different way. I look at Luis Castillo and he just seems so calm and quiet and focused when he's on the mound. What is he like just, you know, at spring training and in the dugout? Is that pretty consistent or is he a bit more outgoing? No, he's, uh, I, I don't think I've seen him without a smile on his face. Um, I mean, he showed up and, and threw an absolute gem against the Yankees and kind of didn't stop. Um, so he's, he's always, he's had a lot to smile about, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, he's, he just constantly has fun, um, whether it's start day or the, the four days in between. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll take a mound visit in the seventh inning with two guys on. Like, we got we got Munoz ready to come in, and and I, I go out there to the mound, and, and halfway out there, he's just staring at me, smiling from, from ear to ear. I'm like, man, this is... This guy's different. Um, he he has too much fun. Um, he really really enjoys it. Uh, he's a he's a he's a gem to be around. And again, like he he showed up there at at the, the beginning of August, and and that's contagious. Like people just felt it. Yes, the the stuff and the performance and what he does on the field, uh, the the team loves and 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 rides with. But uh, again, just another person that came into the clubhouse and, and added to and, and can teach younger guys how to, how to handle themselves and, and how to have fun. Have you had a chance to work much? Uh, I know they're mostly with their minor league staff, but um, with any of the pitchers who are still prospects, I know uh, Bryce Miller, number five prospect for Seattle, got a non-roster invite. Um, you know, I don't know uh, how many other guys will be out there, but have you had a chance to, to see, work with, hear about any of the young prospects? For sure. And uh, a lot of them have been out here, um, I think, since like the second week in January. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I've gotten to, to spend time with, with Hancock and Bryce Miller um, in the past and kind of, you know, seen their their development um, these past two, three years. Uh, Prelander Baroa, Brian Wu, um, I'm just getting to know. Um, but obviously seeing them from afar and seeing what they do, I got to see Prelander last year uh, in Everett when we had an off day. I went down and got to see him throw. Um, and I got to spend some time with Dollard last spring um, in that early camp and in spring training. Um, so 
not super familiar with with the ins and outs of of everything they do, but I've definitely got to spend a good amount of time with those guys. Uh, Bryce Miller threw a live VP today. Um, Hancock uh, and Dollar throw tomorrow, so we'll definitely get to to spend some quality time here in the next couple of weeks. Hey Pete, I got a non football, I mean it's non baseball question for you. Um, I hope it's not football. No, not football. <laughs> the, um, the streets is talking, man. The streets are talking, and they're saying, man, Coach P got a mean shoe game. You know what I'm saying? So what's your favorite old school shoe? What's your favorite new school shoe? Mm. I fell in love with uh, Jordan 5 last year. Nice. Um, I think the, the Jordans have taken off everywhere. Um I don't know. There's something about the fives. I just I like the shark fin. I like I like the comfort. Um, so I, I got a couple pairs of fives last year. Um, got the 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 laneys with the the blue and yellows to wear on Sundays. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, as a, as a coach and especially in baseball, like we have to wear the uniform. We don't we don't get any any say in what we can wear. Um, you know, I don't have a glove anymore. You don't have batting gloves or a bat or <laughs> We we all have the stock. Everything's the same. So um, shoes is kind of the only way you get to uh, you know express yourself and, and have a little fun and and uh, that's where Manny Acta and myself like to uh, like to show it a little bit. Manny Acta, I would not have expected. I love that. Oh, Manny's got the best shoe game. <laughs> Very excited to hear that. That's awesome. Oh. Uh, he is Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth, kind enough to join us uh, from Peoria and tell us a bit uh, about things getting started out there. Pitchers and catchers report us today. Pete, thank you so much for taking the time, man. We appreciate it. Thanks, Pete. You got it. Thanks, guys. All right. Again, thank you to Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth, kind enough to join us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Let's get to four down territory. This is Four Down Territory, going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, Dave Canales, former quarterback coach for the Seahawks, is now offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What type of offense are we going to see in Tampa? I think we're going to see a little bit of Seahawks all over that thing. I think we're going to see him trying to establish the run. You got two good running backs over there. You got Leonard Fournette who rushed for 668 and three touchdowns. And then you have a running back in Rashad White, the kid out of Arizona State, who I think is going to be pretty good eventually. He rushed for 481 and eight touchdowns. You know what also he has over there? He has 2,000-yard receivers. Sound familiar? Mike Evans had 1,124. And then you had Chris Goblin with 123. Evans has nine seasons now where he's gone for over 1,000 yards. He will be in the Hall of Fame one day. And now you got to utilize those, those tight ends. Between Cameron Brayton, Caden Ott, 62 catches between those tight ends and two touchdowns. I think he has to do what he's learned over the past 10 years over here in Seattle. Establish a run game. You got a, a down-the-hill type of runner in Leonard Fournette and more of a shifty guy in white. You got a one-two combo. But then you got to spread the ball around as well. I'm excited to see what he does. But I think the name of the game is going to be balanced. And it's not going to be balanced to where it's 50% run, 50% pass. It's going to be what Pete Carroll always says. You got to be what you need to be in that moment. They're allowing you to run the ball, you run it. They're allowing you to throw it, you throw it. But I look at the weapons that he has over there. Of course, are going to add some guys are going to make some adjustments but the starting point ain't too bad but he got to go get a quarterback Gino, Drew Locke are going to be number one and two on this list when Ooh. it comes to communicating I don't like that, second down Bump 
here we are once again talking about the XFL for the second time in as many days. Now, I'm not being a hater at all, but I have to know why. Uh, Low-key hating. I'm not low-key. I'm not low-key hating. No, you're not. No, I I like the XFL. I had so much fun with the, I mean, second iteration of the XFL, but the Uh first iteration of the Seattle XFL. I had a ton of fun going to one of those games, and then COVID hit. Well, here's what they're going to do. This is why we should all be looking at the XFL because they're going to experiment. They're going to try things. There's a couple of things they're going to do. They're going to bring back, I think, the USFL or XFL. One of them are going to bring back the kickoff rules again where you line up 10 yards from each other. You eliminate those big collisions and allow to return. Yeah. But the thing that the XFL is doing that I'm excited, excited for, they're going to allow these coaches to challenge anything. Any old thing. Any old thing. You got one thing. challenge. If you have a timeout, you can challenge anything. Now, some of the things you cannot challenge in the NFL right now is a field goal or PET that crosses above the uprights. It doesn't touch anything. You can't challenge that. you got to rely on the referees to say if it's good or if it's bad. You cannot challenge a spot where an airborne ball crosses the sideline. So you know where they kick the football out of balance in a punt, and you're pretty much relying on this yeah. referee to guesstimate yeah. where that ball yeah. went out. They're not, they don't allow you to challenge the position of the ball when you lose forward momentum. Um, and then... You are not allowed to challenge, obviously, pass interferences. And I think that's going to be a big one. I think you should be able to challenge it, but I think you need to make these referees watch it in real time. Don't watch it in slow motion. You can find whatever you want in slow motion. You watch it in real time. But this is what the XFL is all about. You try things. You get guys to develop. You are a direct D-League or G-League of the NFL. You understand your position in this world. I love what the XFL is doing. One challenge per game. I'm for it. I wish that I could think of more controversial calls during the Seahawks games that happened this year because I would have been like, okay, what one would you have challenged? But it's it's hard to suddenly, like, you think about how mad you were on that Sunday yeah. and then a couple months removed, you're like, God, I don't even remember. Yeah. Like, Rumping n- the passer. Oh, there were a couple bad ones against Seattle for yeah. sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, all right, third down. I think there was one bad false... Uh, false start against uh, there was like when they Justin like a- or um, Austin Blythe like yeah the head it was Austin thing. Blythe that yeah. one I thought was pretty whack all right third down uh, with Dave Canales off to Tampa who do you feel will be the next coach on the Hawks staff to move on and get a promotion. So now what typically happens with Pete Carroll's staff is the defensive guys get the love and they're, they're gone, right? You had Dan Quinn who was with the Hawks 2013-14. He was with Atlanta 15-20 as a head coach, and he is now the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys. Turned down interviewing head coaching jobs, too. He likes yeah. it over there. Yeah, Gus Bradley with the Seahawks from 09-12. Jacksonville head coach 13-16. And the D- defensive coordinator for the Chargers, Raiders, and the Colts. Then as of late, you have Robert Sala. He was with the Niners, and now he's the head coach with the Jets. Usually it's the defense that's moving on. Canales might set a new trend. We talked about the Seahawks offense earlier in the show, and you need a little bit more respect on the name, and Canales had something to do with that. Who also has something to do with that is Andy Dickerson, the offensive line coach. 17 years in a game. He's been a run game coordinator and an offensive line coach. And then Sanjay Lau, 15 years in the NFL. He's been a pass game coordinator for the Seahawks. You look at Sanjay, and what makes him attractive is that the game is wide open. If he gets to a place or a team is looking for a guy to understand how to spread the ball around and throw the ball 35 40, 45 times. He might be your guy, but Andy Dickerson is a guy who's going to last forever in this league because you always need offensive line play. You always got to be able to run the ball and understand the box. He can do that. He's done a great job with this offensive line, especially with the young tackles. They're going to make some adjustments, hopefully, in hopefully in the interior. But Andy Dickerson and Sanjay Lau, and then you got to throw Carl Scott in there as well. He's 
over at Alabama with Nick Saban. He was with Minnesota for a while. The secondary had a good season last year. He's a guy who becomes attractive, but this is what Pete Carroll wants. He wants guys to develop. He wants them to grow. He wants to send them off in their merry way and make moves. But those are my three guys. Fourth down. Football Focus released an article highlighting each team's biggest draft mistakes over the years. I'm a little nervous about this list, but what does it tell you about the Seahawks' past, past draft history? All right, they focus on one position, and that is defensive end. They said Rasheem Green in 2018 it was pick 79. He recorded 13 sacks in four seasons. You got Jacob Martin in 2018, pick 187, recorded three sacks in one year. LJ Collier, first round pick, three sacks in four seasons. Demarcus Christmas, 2019, he recorded no stats. And then these are the guys that kind of, man, made me scratch my head a little bit. Daryl Taylor, they said, was a bad pick, pick number 48. Didn't work out for the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. Had nine sacks last year. You can work with that. You got something to work with. Boy, in my faith. The kid's a rookie. Way too early. Yeah, three sacks last year. That's still third or fourth best for rookies on the defensive line. And then you got Tariq Smith. We don't know what he has done yet. So you look at this. You look at this group. They focus on the defensive line. Where do we want them to draft high during the draft? What position? Defensive line. Defensive line. So as good as they are with receivers, as good as they are with DBs, um, as good as they are with linebackers, they've struggled to find the big boys, the guys getting after the quarterback to make a difference. You mentioned who are the last two great defense, or really good defensive linemen. They Jaron Reed and Frank Clark. Jaron Reed and Frank Clark. Yeah, one via trade and one via just letting his. Con- they didn't uh, extend them, right? Yeah, yeah, didn't extend them. So they got some. They got some things to do. You got to find some big boys who get after the quarterback. I don't agree with the last three. DT, Boyamafe, and Tariq Smith. I think they are still projects. We'll see how that ends up. But the four before that, um, I can't I can't be mad at them. So uh, Seahawks, PFF talking all that stuff. And take it for what you want. PFF is wrong a bunch of times as well. But it makes for a good conversation. I kind of agree with some of these guys, but the last three, I'm not feeling it. Uh, all right. We still have a hype train to come, and then I need your questions for what I need to know. You can send those in now, 866-979-3776. Again, the Mac and Jack's text line. Send your question for what I need to know. Any question you have, sports, non-sports, it doesn't matter, 866-979-3776. First in hype train, I have uh, a hype train inspired by our conversation just now in Four Down Territory about Dave Canales. Don't go anywhere. This is What's on Tap with Bump and Stacy, brought to you by Dick's Driving. So, folks, what's on tap? All right, the Kraken back at it, taking on the Flyers tonight at 7 p.m. Let's see if we can get that scoring back up. That's What's on Tap, brought to you by Dick's Driving. Get your questions in for what I need to know. Coming your way at 45 after, 866-979-3776. That is the Macajax text line. It's where you're sending any and all questions. I have a really good uni question in here. You guys, both you, Bump, and Curtis, love talking about uni. Uniforms. Love it. I just don't understand, but whatever. I included it for you. It's a sacrifice. You know that what it I is? Made. It's your perfect cocktail dress. You know what I'm saying? <gasps> oh, That's what yeah. unis are to us. Just you guys talking very specifically about like this player can't wear it this is. number yeah. and this yeah. color can't yep. go with this color. Yep. It's just I don't understand. Okay. <laughs> uh, this hour of Bump and Stacy's brought to you by Mazda of Everett. It is time to head to the station for hype train. 
right, first one in here is inspired by a story we talked about plenty today. Learned a lot about this new hire. Dave Canales, a former quarterback coach for the Seattle Seahawks, now off to Tampa Bay, where he will take over as offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. Now, the Buccaneers, like every other team in the NFC South, badly in need of a quarterback. You have two quarterbacks in Seattle who are about to be unrestricted free agents in March. This is your hype train. Tell me if you're boarding. Only one of Drew Locke or Geno Smith will return to Seattle in 2023. Well, we know that if Canales is a smart guy, he's going to make a move towards one of these guys. And he is a smart guy. That's why he's going to be offensive coordinator. He went there and he impressed. He was ready to go. He was prepared. So because I respect Canales and uh, I know that he's going to need a quarterback to lead this thing. I'm going to say he's going to make a pass. He's going to try to get one of these dudes. And, and somebody work? ain't going to be there. No! Probably Drew Locke, though. Oh. I'm on the train. All right. If you are boarding the train, as Bump does, it means that you agree with the take. You think there's some real truth to it or validity to it. If you think it's nothing but a hype train, you're letting it go on by. Curtis, the hype train is that only one of Drew Locke or Geno Smith, both set to become unrestricted free agents, will return to Seattle in 2023. Bump is boarding. He thinks Canales, new OC for the Bucks, sinks his claws into Drew Locke. What do you think? Yeah, the Bucks are in need of a quarterback more so than the Seahawks are, that's for sure. Uh, because it's just Kyle Trask right now in Tampa Bay. And I am in agreement with Bump. I think because of that, we see Dave Canales be able to woo either Gino or Drew. I'm with Bump, though. I think it's going to be Drew Locke more likely to leave than Gino Smith does. Because, look, Gino knows he's got a starting job here if he, mm-hmm. do, if he does choose to stay. Drew Locke doesn't have that if he chooses to stay. If he goes elsewhere, there's a chance he can get that. Uh, Tampa Bay's pretty enticing right now, having Dave Canales there, a guy who is familiar, very familiar with who Drew Locke can be as a quarterback. So I'm boarding this train as well. I do not think we see both Geno and Drew Locke back in Seattle in 2023. I am going to stay on the side of optimism because I think not only does Seattle love Geno and probably wants to be able to get him back on like a reasonable mid-tier starter deal, um, you know, around trying to stay around that 30, 25 to 32 number. I think they really like Drew Locke. Like, really, really like Drew Locke. Yeah. And I think they're going to do everything in their power to try to bring him back. And so I'm not boarding this train mostly out of hope and optimism, but we'll see what happens, of course. Free agency set to hit in mid-March. Next hype train. Let's talk about new coaching hires. Sean Payton taking over as head coach of the Denver Broncos. The Broncos, a preseason darling dead to the Super Bowl, of course. In the end, it was the team. It was always going to be the Chiefs, not only winning the AFC West, but going on to win Super Bowl 57. This is the hype train. Tell me if you're boarding. The Sean Payton experiment works in year one. The Denver Broncos snap the drought and make the playoffs. Ooh, I like that one, Stacy. Thank you. Makes you think about it. So I'm going to pull up their schedule real quick because it's been released, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Opponents. Oh, no, opponents, not the actual dates. Anyway, um, is it going to work? Opponents. Is it going to work? That means they have to do well in their division, the toughest division in football Mm -hmm, right now. mm -hmm. Who's going to be the Raiders quarterback over there? The Chargers are going to be all right. You already know Casey's going to do their thing. I'm going to say they have the potential to be the second best team in that conference. And if they are the second best team in that conference, they make the playoffs. Russell Wilson is going to bounce back. He's going to fix his charity. He's going to develop relationships in the community and in the building. 
Payton's going to tighten things up. I'm on the train, man. They're in the playoffs. Okay, bump is boarding. Back-to-back trains here. Um, Obviously, we won't have scheduled dates until probably May at least. Um, But we do have opponents. Denver is set to play the NFC North and AFC East. They're hosting the Packers, Vikings, Pats, and Jets. And they're traveling to face the Bears, Lions, Dolphins, and Bills. Some winnable games in there. Some tough ones. Right? You know, like the Bills going to be tough. Packers, especially if they still got Rodgers, are going to be tough. Um, Vikings, who knows? knows what they're going to be. They're going to allow 30 points and then come from behind and win the game. Um, But there are some winnable games here. The Broncos, this is the hype train, are going to snap the playoff drought and return to the playoffs. Bump is boarding this one. Curtis, are you? Imagine how depressing it must be to be a Broncos fan acquiring Russell Wilson and Sean Payton in back-to-back offseasons to be like, I think we're good enough for second place, guys. (laughs) I think we can get second in the West. Holy cow. Uh, I'm not boarding this train. I do not think Sean Payton is the fix in Denver. Uh, We saw what Sean Payton was like without Drew Brees as his quarterback in New Orleans his final season. It was a pretty pedestrian year for the Saints. And I don't think Russell Wilson is is anywhere closer to the quarterback that he was in 2020 and prior to that than he is right now. So uh, I do not see the Broncos returning to the playoffs with the current quarterback head coach set up. And uh, I think they need another quarterback there to get the job done if they want to get over that hump. I hear what you're saying. Say However, Russell's not good enough? Yes, that's Ooh. what I'm saying. However, <laughs> what I would raise you is that while, while Russell is no longer peak Russell and Russell uh, now is certainly not Drew Brees, I think he's better than the quarterback situation Peyton was left with at the end of his tenure with New Orleans. Who was that, Jameis? Yeah. The Jameis? I it think was a like, healthy Jameis... You're taking it's off. You're taking, oh, Curtis, no, a healthy Jameis. It's better than Russell Wilson is right now. Face, you are telling oh, yes. me right now a in the year 2023, you would take Jameis Winston over Russell Wilson. Yes. Oh, and I don't think that. I'm alone in that. I don't think I'm alone in oh, that. Oh, you're definitely oh not alone. God. That's for sure. No, you're definitely not alone. I just like that this ended with such a bold statement. Um, <laughs> I'm not boarding this one. I think that the AFC is an absolute nightmare, but I think the Broncos' schedule uh, will finish with, obviously, more wins than they had last year. I have more faith in them. I think uh, Peyton is tougher, and I think it's going to be a little bit of a, hey, guys, it's my way. No more of this, like, who's the leader, who's making the calls, who's doing what. Peyton, so, that stepdaddy saying, look. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. He's <laughs> he's going to be tough. Next hype train into the station. Let's Taysom talk. Hill's going to be starting games for the Broncos by the end there of the season. There were so <laughs> many good uh, gifts, memes, everything, internet Twitter jokes to come out of this. Uh, a lot of Zoolander references with Hansel and uh, and what's his face, Derek, uh, with Russell Wilson and Taysom Hill. Just like, who's that? Taysom mm. Hill, he's so hot right now. I'm just staring <laughs> at each other. Um, all right. Uh, let's, this is probably the last hype train here. Last hype train into the station. Uh, we talked plenty about the Seahawks draft yesterday, including looking at uh, Todd McShay's first post-Super Bowl mock draft. His and NFL.com lead draft reporter Eric Edholm's mock both had the Seahawks taking Tyree Wilson at number five. In fact, Tyree Wilson quickly becoming the most common name mocked to Seattle at number five. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Your hype train is that Tyree Wilson's going to the Hawks at five. Lock it in. Put it in permanent marker. As a famous quote once said about Virginia versus (laughs) UMBC. Sharpie. (laughs) Tyree Wilson at number five. Bumpy board in this train. There's only two other possibilities when it comes to me and how I see this. Either they go Miles Murphy or Geno's gone. They need a quarterback and CJ's available and they go that route. And you know who I'm also get even more fond 
fonder of, I guess that's how you say that. Become more fond of. More fond of. Thank right? you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, English major. Um, Anthony Very Richardson, fast. the Florida guy. Now, here, here's the thing about oh. Richardson. He needs a lot of work. A lot of work. Dude's not ready to go. Toolsy um, is what we call him. Toolsy? Oh, yeah. That's what you call guys that need okay. a lot of work. He's Toolsy. I'm learning every, I'm learning, I just learned two new things today. Um, but nah, Tyree's it. Tyree's it. It's gonna, the cookie's gonna crumble exactly how we think it is. I think those top five picks are short, but you just jacked me up. You're hearing that Justin Fields might be dealt by Chicago. So if that happens, Jason Lock and Fora hearing. Something else is gonna happen. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm on the train today. Okay, boarding it. I'm on All the right. train. I'm on the train. Bump, just buying tickets left and right for trains. Uh, Curtis, the final hype train into the station is that Tyree Wilson is a lock at number five for the Seahawks. Bump says, you know what? I've heard enough. I'm going to go ahead and board this one. Are you boarding? You already had your hot take about taking Jameis Winston. Uh, a healthy Jameis Winston. A healthy Jameis Winston over, over Russell Wilson. Someone, Russell someone texted Wilson. in, Justin spitting facts. You said, I'm Curtis. Justin is far too nice to have that take. Also, Justin's not even in the country right now. Justin, <laughs> Justin currently abroad. Yeah. Uh, Tyree Wilson of the Seahawks at number five. I think there's some familiarity, too, with the Seahawks in Texas Tech. Because mm-hmm. just a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. Jordan Brooks was their first-round pick. Yeah. He is a Red Raider. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to board this train. I think Tyree Wilson... Ends up with the Seahawks in some way, shape, or form, whether it be a pick number five or maybe they trade down and pick number seven, still get their guy. Pick number nine, they still get their guy. Somewhere within that top ten, they end up with Tyree Wilson. All right. Uh, I'm going to board this one. I I feel like it's just going to be one of those things where you start seeing it enough. And last year, what worked for Seattle? Making the pick that they probably should have. Not getting too cute. Just choosing the best guy available. I think that may end up being Tyree Wilson at number five. Uh, all right. That was Hype Train. We're heading into what I need to know. And I could use some more questions. So send those in now to the Mac and Jack's text line. 866-979-3776. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. It's what I need to know. Brought to you by All Red Heating, Cooling, Electric. Get your questions in now to the Mac and Jack's text line. That number, 866-979-3776. I got some good ones here, but I could use a few more. So here we go. What I need to know. My 8-year-old son just destroyed my 13-year-old son's 3,000-plus piece Millennium Falcon Lego set on accident after trying to fly it. What's an appropriate mm. punishment, and how should I tell my older son he's at school and doesn't know yet? First off, if your son cared about it, it wouldn't be in reach to where his brother can destroy it. Ooh. You know, you, you must not have cared about it if you left it out, son. That's what you must my not have cared. grandma told my mom when her bike got stolen when she was little. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Take care of your stuff, right? And then for the kid who... uh who jacked the, it up? Yeah, who broke it? He's eight years old. Yeah, I mean, just like man, don't touch other people's stuff. I mean, what do you do? Just it's a lesson instead yeah. of a punishment. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Legos, so it's not like it's not salvageable, right? Yeah. You can rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that take a really long time? Three thousand sure, plus pieces. But these are eight and thirteen year olds. They've got all the time in the world. All okay, right? so they don't have jobs to go to. So there's no punishment. What it is is a lesson to the younger one of yeah. like, hey, don't touch other people's things. Both Ask for lessons. permission, and then the older one gets gets. To be told, don't leave your stuff out don't if you really, really care about it. Okay. Place it up Lessons high. learned is what we're doing. And then maybe they can rebuild it together. Nah, they're not going to do that. Okay. Yeah, I don't think the older brother wants <laughs> okay, to be fine. around the that's younger fine. brother for 
that long. What I need to know, what Seattle sports team jersey do you secretly like that generally gets a lot of heat from fans? I kind of like the early 2000s Seahawks jersey. That's disgusting. I appreciate you. you. I appreciate you. <laughs> Michael Bumpus. You know? Uh, Where everything was baggy. Oh, God. Yes. It was horrible. 2008. Yeah. Heck of a year. Just. Uh, I like the lime greens. Like the lime greens, they the are action greens. Action greens, oh, they are. Those are the worst ones. They're ugly, but they're attractive to me. You know what I'm saying? They're like the the non-attractive girl like with Pete a great Davidson? personality. You know? No, what I'm saying? that happens more with guys, like guys that no one that like you're like Eric Andre, weird looking, dating a model. Right? Yeah, he's really funny. You though. make him laugh. That's what it is. That's why I told my son. How, I go, guys, hey, make how him do laugh. guys get away with that? Oh, you just make him laugh. What? What? Because you guys care about that stuff. So stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going the opposite. It's a jersey that I hate that everyone likes. I I don't like Action Green. I think it makes the field look dirty, and it it bothers me. So you me. guys are the opposite on Action Green. Yeah. Bob likes yeah. it. What's yours? Uh, mine, I'm kind of wearing it on my hat. I like the red, green, and gold era Sonics uniforms of the 90s. Uh for whatever reason, there are certain sections of Sonics fans that just did not like those jerseys. Mm-hmm. But that was the most fun era of Sonics basketball. That's the era of Sonics basketball. I grew up on with Peyton and Kemp. I love the the home whites, the road greens, and even I like the red alternate jersey. Uh, that's my favorite uh, era of Sonics basketball. So I'm going to go with those. 90s things. was a heck of a time for basketball jerseys. Yeah, it was. I think one of the best times. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Raptors, yep. Charlotte, Pistons. Yep. What stinks is that Suns. you watch NBA Suns. games nowadays and teams are throwing it back to that era. You see the Pistons, they have a teal alternate jersey that yeah. I remember them wearing. It's like, yeah. man, I'm washed. I'm I so old. I know. I remember watching this when it was their current jersey. Let's not talk about this anymore. It's giving me anxiety. <laughs> what I need to know, uh, more parent advice here. Um, by the house, uh, there's a bunch of yard work to do, several weekends worth. How many times can I ask my boys to help before I have to start paying them? That's how old they are, I guess. Nah, I ain't no paying them. Well, what no, if you like- pay them? You know, you pay them, you keep the lights on. <laughs> right? You give them food. You give them ride to school. They got clothes. Yeah. That's how you pay. What? I guess I didn't get paid for chores. Heck nah. You better do this. Yeah, if it's a chore, they're well, not getting paid for it. No. Yeah, you would just be like, hey, do this, do this, do this. Do it. Yeah, I guess it. it's only one of those things where it's like, what if it's a ton of yard work and they're like 18 and they're coming home from Does college? Does not matter. To okay. 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 You get your fair, rear fair, end fair. out here. Um, what I need to know, I am going to my first Kraken game on Saturday. What should I expect? Is there anything I must do for the overall best experience? You must pre-funk. <laughs> Unless you want to be paying a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Lots yeah, of yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. Unless you've got about 200 bucks you're willing to drop on a... Uh, <laughs> Four In addition seltzers. to the two hundred you got to spend on one ticket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I would suggest uh, I would suggest doing that. Um, I don't know. I I just treated it like any other sports experience. Um, I will say there's lots of places nearby. Like I probably got I got like food like dinner uh, beforehand. Yeah, we did a seven p.m. Also, I would figure out where your seats are and go through the entrance that's closest to it because yeah. it can get hard to navigate sometimes. Uh, what I need to know, does Mark Salk Goff, this must be a joke they had during the show, and can he beat Bump? You think he could beat Salk on a round? Yeah, but that's golf. He can beat me too. I mean, that's that's golf. You play with handicaps as well. 
Yeah, anybody can get in golf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I need to know, uh, what's the better cheat meal, a bowl of cereal or a PB&J? PB&J for me. I, I don't what? consider either to be a cheat meal. <laughs> well, right? Cereal, That's not lunch. now. Cereal's breakfast. Yeah. Well, well no, cheap. cheap. Oh, cheap. cheap. I thought you said cheat. Yeah, cheap. I thought it was a cheat meal. I was like, oh. That's not. I sound really like baby goes. chicken. That's not splurging. No, cheap. Uh, best cheap meal. I mean, full of cereal is doesn't get much cheaper than that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what I need to know, do you see us picking back-to-back defensive picks in this year's draft for 5 and 20? Yes. I do, too. Yes. I would kind of want them to. They better. Uh, what I need to know, uh, this one is about wide receivers. Bump, uh, who are your favorite receivers, or who is your favorite receiver in this year's class? And do the Hawks look for someone to potentially replace an aging Tyler Lockett in a few years? I love Addison out of USC. Obviously, he's a local kid. I like the sleeper who um, we spoke to the other day. He mentioned, uh, what was that, the college? Jesse, um, our draft specialist. Who was our Ed- draft Eric guy we spoke Edholm. to? Eric Edholm. Yeah. yeah. Um, he mentioned Michael Wilson out of Stanford. I like mm-hmm. him as well. Zay Flowers is dope. I mean, you can go all across this board and find you a good receiver. It's a good year. Good year to be a receiver. Uh, let's see what I need to know. Chances Tiger wins this weekend. Not likely. Okay. But if he does, watch out now. Just I might just I might show up on Monday a little little droggy. Will you be Tiger wearing this one? Will you be wearing a red shirt and black pants? Hey, I'm coming in shirt tucks, collared. Yeah. Black shoes on. What's an almost name? Is that the name That's your like, parents were going to name yeah. you? Last one, Jeff from SeaTac says, "What was your almost name?" Mark. Mark? Mark. Yep. Mark. Mark. Mark Bumpus. <laughs> oh, my God. Name. Oh, I'm going to keep calling you Mark now. What's yours? For girl, I was going to be Kelly. And for a boy, I think I was going to be Wesley. Curtis? I do not know what my almost name would have been if, like, the second place boy name. But I believe if I were going to be a girl, it would have been Lindsay. 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 Yeah. So cute. Oh, man. Lindsay. No, I don't like the name Lindsay. You don't like Lindsay? No, my eighth grade boyfriend left me for a Lindsay. <laughs> oh. It's, it's a tough, it's yeah. a tough. Or maybe her name was Lacey. Who cares? Right? Yeah. Where is she now? Not on this show. All right. <laughs> Take that, Lacey or Lindsay, whoever you are. Uh, for Mark Bumpus, uh, for Lindsay Rogers, <laughs> I'm Wesley. For Wes. All right, Wes. <laughs> don't go anywhere. Wyman and Bob coming up next.